No, your Wi-Fi crashed again. Let's see. Something funny. Something funny. Uh, is this all being recorded right now? Yeah. You want to know something that would be really funny? What? The Baltimore Ravens making it to the playoffs this year. Ooh, spicy take. Start that off with a show right there. Let's get into it. Spicy take. Okay. Here we go in three, two, and... Welcome, everyone, to the greatest uh, podcast available on all platforms, and now including iHeartRadio. We are available on the iHeartRadio app. I'm Jacob Seidel, uh, joined along my joined alongside by my good friend and co-host Zach Smith. Hey. Welcome back. We're here again, here for another episode. If you didn't hear the last two that we posted, we did two last time out. We did a NCAA one focusing specifically on college football. And then we did one professionally on uh, we that one got posted Wednesday last week. So uh, some NBA stuff, some NFL stuff. Give both a listen. We got plenty of content coming out for you. And we got plenty of stuff on the docket for this one. But it starts off with learning about what happened today all those years ago. Yeah, and a great segment. Uh, I love it, especially when we get special ones or special ones like I can find today. And I think we can all agree this might be the most special moment in the history of baseball. Back on November 18th, 1949, National League batting leader with an average of 342. Jackie Robinson wins the National League MVP. What a step in sports. What a step. And 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 we're making strides every day. Every day is a new thing for somebody. And especially for communities like that, Jackie Robinson was the biggest piece to getting the African American name in sports. And it's fantastic. Jackie deserved that MVP. And again, if it wasn't for him, who knows what we would see in sports nowadays? Who knows? Jackie Robinson paved the way for a lot of changes to not only the game of baseball, but in the athletic world in general. And I am thankful for that. I am thankful that we got to see Jackie Robinson. Zach, I know you, well, we didn't get to see him, but that a generation got to see him and that we are still able to talk about what an impact he made 50 years later. It's really cool. I went to Kansas City uh, two summers ago, not this past summer due to COVID, but the summer beforehand. And I saw a Red Sox Royals game in Kansas City. And we went to a museum in uh, downtown that was all about the history of um, um, African-American leagues of baseball and how that all impacted. And it, it occurred to me that not just Jackie Robinson, but there's a whole generation of players like this who just we could not have had the game that we do today without those types of leagues. I believe they were called the Negro Leagues. 
Um, yeah, but yeah, Negro League Baseball, you had the Negro American League and the Negro National League, uh, and it's it's a sad part of our history that at one point these two had to be changed, but Jackie Robinson b- breaking the color barrier has made everything unified in that aspect. For sure, for sure. So very grateful for what he did, not just at that time, but the impact that he's had throughout history. It cannot be understated in the slightest. And not that I'm shortchanging him, but we go from one MVP to another MVP in this week's segment of Where Will I Be When I Grow Up? They may be grown up, but they don't know what they'll be at the end of the season. It's time for What Will I Be When I Grow Up? And this rendition of Where Will I Be When I Grow Up is going to start off with former MVP, Super Bowl runner-up, Cam Newton. Now, Cam Newton just came off of a huge win beating the Baltimore Ravens to knock them to 6-2. and two. So, my good friend Jacob, at the end of this season, what will, have Cam, what will Cam Newton have accomplished? Where will Cam Newton be at the end of the season? I this is a difficult question to ask because we've seen a tale of two cams this season. He is, he looked pretty good at the beginning of the year, not back to his Super Bowl championship and runner up and MVP days, but he he looked solid and then we saw uh after we saw him go down with COVID, it just hadn't been the same cam. He's not going to be anywhere close to an MVP. But I think he can put the Pats in a position to take a wild card spot out of the AFC East. And also, I would like to make one correction, Zach. The Ravens fall to six and three and now are in a tie with the Browns and have the tiebreaker for second place with their win against Cleveland at home to start the season. My mistake. I forgot that they lost to the Chiefs earlier this year, too. Uh, just. Looking overall at the New England Patriots, I I agree with you that this has been a tale of two cams, and I'm not going to shy away from it. I've been very critical of Cam Newton, both on this show and just in conversation. Uh, Cam Newton's best seasons are behind him, in my opinion, and I I still am going to sit here and support that. The, The year Cam Newton won the MVP back in 2016 was by far the most dominant Cam Newton we ever saw. You could sit there on every docket and you could not count this team out regardless of what you had. And those were the days Greg Olson was still around Luke Keekley and that uh, Panthers defense was just so solid. So solid. Jonathan Stewart was still back there. You know, that that's the team that Cam Newton was at his best. And then he suffered through injury and then he got cut by the Panthers brought to the uh, Patriots because the Patriots needed a quarterback and they could partially afford him, uh, Bill Belichick going public and saying that he really did put all his chips into winning Super Bowls with Tom Brady. So that's why they only could pay him a million dollars. So Cam Newton's been through a lot and you really got to put a little bit of credit towards the New England Patriots and where they sit. They are four and five. They are third in the AFC East and they're behind the seven and three Buffalo Bills and the six and three Miami Dolphins, which by the way, way to go to a tongue of Iowa. Anywho, You also got to look at some of these games that they've lost. They lost to Seattle in Seattle. They lost to the Chiefs in Kansas City. The Broncos game 
hurt a lot because that's a game that the Patriots could have won. The Bills game is one that they could have won with Cam Newton fumbling the ball. They got blown out by the San Francisco 49ers in New England. But you got to look at the other side of the coin. The Patriots have won two straight games. One over the New York Jets, which came down to a field goal getting kicked at the end of the game. And then this last week against the Baltimore Ravens. Now, I don't think that the Patriots win that Ravens game if the weather was better than what it was. It was disgusting weather in Foxborough. It was disgusting weather through the Midwest and Northeast, just all around. Every game that was played outdoors, it was awful. So, going into the year as well, I said that Bill, if Mike Tomlin, who is one of the best coaches to ever coach, statistically and in my opinion, if he can get a team with a third, fourth string quarterback last year to get his team to eight and eight, Bill Belichick with a former MVP should be able to do the same thing. I still say that the Pats go eight and eight. I look at their schedule. I think they beat the Houston Texans this week. I think you beat the Chargers. I think you take one from the Dolphins. I think you beat the Jets. So it's it's difficult to say, but I, I think at the end of this season, I think Cam Newton might get another contract from the New England Patriots. Um, it's been a tale of two cams. When Cam Newton has been solid, this offense is hummed. but if Cam Newton struggles, there is nothing on this offense to really work with. And I mean that in the nicest of ways. You're rebuilding after all the years of domination in the AFC. You're not big brother in the AFC anymore. So if, if I had to say at the end of the year where Cam Newton will be, I think if Cam Newton gets his team to 8-8, eight and eight, I think he remains the starter in New England. Zach? Jake Luton, former quarterback of the uh, Oregon State Beavers, will be where at the end of this season? So, to put in a little bit of perspective, Jake Luton, as you mentioned, he's a, he's a rookie this year. He was taken in the sixth round by the Jacksonville Jaguars. He is starting purely because Gardner Minshew is hurt. But the fact that he is starting over Mike Glennon, who is on the Jaguars roster, surprises me a little bit. Now, he really did show up last week. And then this week, he put some pressure on Aaron Rodgers in Lambeau. The Packers winning that game 24-20. So, obviously, at the end of the year, Luton is not going anywhere as in terms of playing for another team. Unless, you know, a, a really, really desperate quarterback team says, Ooh, I like what we've seen out of the two games out of this Jake Luton kid. We're going to bring him in. So in, in that regard, he's going to remain a Jacksonville Jaguar. Now, his stats haven't jumped off the wall. 473 as in terms of passing yards, two touchdowns and two interceptions have a QBR of 59. He's 24. He is playing like a, a rookie sixth rounder should, and it's, it's decent. Um, that being said, he will remain on the Jaguars roster, but I think the fact that he's played this well has warranted him a place on the roster. So I'm going to say that Jake Luton is QB three for the Jacksonville Jaguars at the start of next season um, behind Gardner Minshew and uh, the quarterback to be in Jacksonville, Justin Fields. I think Mike Glennon gets cut for Jake Luton. 
So that brings me to my next one. The New York football giants. Who could have guessed that if I was sitting here 11 weeks into a, well, now 11 weeks into an NFL season saying that the giants are in contention for playoffs. So Mr. Jacob Seidel, the New York football giants at the end of the season will be what? Searching for a new coach. I don't think Joe Judge is going to stay the coach of the Giants. They have, yeah, we all knew they were going to be bad, but they are underperforming in the worst division in professional football. Yeah, they just got a win against Carson Wentz and the Eagles, but I, I just don't see him, I don't see Joe Judge staying for much longer if they can't figure something out. I also think that we're going to see them drop down the tables. They're not going to make the playoffs. I do not see the Giants making the playoffs. And if they do, it's going to be in a big first round loss with an exit. But I, I think Joe Judge's days are numbered in New York. I'm disagreeing with half of your statement. And the part that I'm disagreeing with is that Joe Judge gets fired. There is no possible way that Joe Judge gets fired. Look, you're playing with a team that is riddled with injury, mainly Saquon Barkley. You're dealing with a team that has very little as in terms of offensive weaponry for your second year quarterback. You're talking about a team that, yes, is in the worst division in football, but is on a slight rebuild. That offensive line is atrocious. Where Joe Judge has gotten it right is in play calling and in defense. And let me explain that. In recent weeks, the New York Giants defense has actually looked really, really good. Let me throw a couple of these scores out at you. Against the Steelers to open up the year, the Giants defense gave up 26 points. Against the Chicago Bears, the New York Giants defense gave up 17 points. Against the LA Rams, the New York Giants gave up 17 points. Against the Philadelphia Eagles, 22 in Philly, and then 17 this past week. Against Washington, 20. Against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 25 points. This, this Giants defense is keeping this team in games. Points against, they're 21st in the NFL, averaging 23.6 yard, or 23.6 points given up a game. So the, this Giants defense is making strides forward. Are they anywhere near they, where they should be to make a push in any way for a playoff push? No, they shouldn't. But that being said, Blake Martinez was a heck of a get. In free agency, Jabal Sheard in his 10th year has looked really good, but he's going to eventually need to get replaced. Dexter Lawrence has become a staple on that D line. He's been really good. Then you look at a couple of these other places that they really need help. And the biggest spot is probably in the secondary. James Bradbury was another one of those really big gets that New York was able to get in free agency. Logan Ryan is there now, so your corners are kind of okay. That's not to discredit Jabril Peppers back there at safety, but you, you need to keep building. And, you know, if you go and you make a signing like they did with Joe Judge, there is no way that you fire him after one season. He is going to be a guy that's there for the next two, three years. Yeah, and I, if at I, that point... I will make this point to you. 
I'm a Cleveland fan. I know what the media does to coaches that don't perform. New York is much worse. Just think about how many coaches we've seen run out of the New York Knicks. How many managers the Mets and the Yankees have gone through. Both the on, the only good team professionally or professional wise in New York right now are the Yankees. That's driving New York fans mad. And yeah, I know they're bad. I know they were going to be bad this year, but they have, I, they should not have been this bad. I know they have a lot of injuries. The New York media is going to be calling for Joe judge's head. I, I disagree. I think that Joe judge is going to remain the, the coach there. And it, it's the same reason that I've mentioned with Brian Flores, who has suddenly pushed himself into coach of the year conversations. And it's the same thing that the Bengals did with Zach Taylor. And it, and the conversation goes as follows. Look, guys, we understand that the players and that we have are not the best right now. We understand that you're not going to be pushing for a playoff spot or a Super Bowl within the next two years. All we're asking you to do is sit here, bring in your guys, build the culture you want to build, and we go from there. I think that if a reasonable expectation for the Giants is turning in saying, well, we've, we've got a, a good couple of games still on our schedule. Uh, we have to go and play the Bengals this coming week. We've got the Cowboys again. Um, I don't think we're going to steal one from Baltimore, Cleveland. And it, the way Seattle's defense has been playing lately, who knows if that's a game. But realistically speaking, Five wins on the season's not terrible to expect out of the New York Giants. But I agree. I don't think you're going to see the Giants make the postseason. But, you know, looking at the NFC East, anything is possible. We'll go from one NFC East team to another. And Zach, Alex Smith will be what at the beginning of next season? Oof. So Alex Smith came in this week. This is the first game he started in almost a year after a really terrifying uh, broken leg. Um, he, he honestly could have lost his leg. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of bad things that could have happened for Alex Smith. Um, but that, but that being said, Alex Smith in his first game as a starter this season looked really good against the Detroit Lions, 38 for 55, 390 yards. That being said, Alex Smith is past his prime. Um, he's going to enter into some conversation for comeback player of the year. I don't think you're going to see it unless he blows people out of the water, the guy should earn it just for the, for the fact that he's playing again. But you're finishing your year against the Bengals, Cowboys, Steelers, Niners, Seahawks, Panthers, and Eagles. Unless you're, you make a significant impact on this team, you're not winning co uh, comeback player of the year. But if Alex Smith were smart, which he's a very smart man, at the end of the year, he hangs up his cleats. And it's going to suck to do. He pushed so hard to do it, but he's getting up there in age. And he's playing with a brace that is just allowing him to be mobile. I think that Alex Smith, not that I want him to, but I think he should hang them up at the end of the season. 
I agree with you. I'm going to go a different way. I think he is going to hang up his cleats, but he's going to put on his ball cap and he is going to be an associate coach for the new uh, Washington football team. He is, he's a skilled quarterback. He has had that mindset and he's kind of like a Josh McCown type guy. If he's not playing, you want him in your quarterback room talking with your quarterbacks. Josh McCown if some things had broke better for him, we might be talking Josh McCown being one of the better quarterbacks in the recent NFL history. But instead, he had he was shunted around from team to team. He threw for, uh, three back-to-back games for the Browns, 400 yards passing. I think Alex Smith takes the same role. I think he will be in on the Washington staff, and I think he's going to be the guy that kind of shows the next generation of quarterback, whether it ends up being Haskins next year or not, which probably not how to play the game of football in the national football league. So that leads to a little bit of a, a different um, region of bat of sports. And it goes from one star player with a very smart mind to another star player with a very smart mind. And that is Anthony Davis. So, my friend, at the end of free agency, which opened up yesterday on or not yesterday, opened up Monday. Where will Anthony Davis be playing basketball this upcoming season? There are two possible answers. The most likely is he will stay a Los Angeles Laker because the Lakers have room for another Supermax contract. It's not out of the realm of possibilities that they give him a little bit more money to stay. But if he decide, if he ends up leaving, I think he's still going to stay in LA, but I think he's going to go to the Clippers. I like that take. I think he, He's going to stay in L.A. He wants he likes the big market. He did the small market in New Orleans, made the Pelicans relevant for a period of time. He wants the money. Clippers have the money. Lakers have the money. It's just which one is going to give him more money to stay. But if he does go to the Clippers, boy, I can't wait to see those Lakers Clippers games. That's going to be a huge rivalry. It, it's going to that rivalry that will be reborn. I, I think that that's a, a, a cool take, um, but it's it, it's not a take that I think is going to be all that accurate. And and let me just kind of explain it. And the reason being is I think your first take is actually the most accurate. I think that Anthony Davis opted out of the contract because he wants more money. He's going to simply put his foot in the water as like a little kid does with. Um, getting into the water for the first time, dips it in there. What are teams going to offer me? What am I worth? Because the Lakers are going to offer him one number. He's thinking he's worth another, and he's going to listen in and see what he's worth to, say, like a small market team that wants to start rebuilding for the future, um, like your Detroit Pistons or Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, not really the Brooklyn Nets. The, uh, the New York Knicks could be a team that just – pops a number in there a team that's looking to get a superstar now and build around it um another team that i would even consider in there maybe the miami heat 
a maybe a Miami Heat situation with Jimmy Butler. And now that Hassan Whiteside is out of your system, he's in Portland. Now suddenly you need a center. I mean, you've built a little bit around it, but imagine Jimmy Butler and Anthony Davis on that team to go along with everything they've already got. Holy cow. Um, I agree with your take though, that I think, I think Anthony Davis opting out of his contract is just to see what kind of number he, he should be worth and asking for. And then he's going to go back to the Lakers and say, all right, this is what I'm worth. I would like to stay with LeBron James, please. And he's kind of following in LeBron James footsteps in later years. After he came back to Cleveland, he only signed one year deals. He didn't sign a four year deal to say in Cleveland. Do we see him maybe start doing something like that? Maybe, maybe not, but he's smart. He's seen what LeBron has done over the course of his career when negotiating contracts, and now he is doing it himself. And our final one in this segment goes to you, Zach. Where will James Harden be at the beginning of the 2020-2021 NBA season? Well, that's... It's tough to say, and it's it's going to push us vaguely into uh, the next portion of our show, which is the NBA portion. Um, I'm going to kind of use some facts from that and tie this all in together. Uh, James Harden turned down a $50 million extension from the Houston Rockets. $50 million. I, I, I look at you, my friend, and say, what would you and I do if somebody said, hey, to play basketball, here's $50 million. Will you do it? Uh, I would say, sign me up, coach. Yeah. Uh, so Q, Q center field. <laughs> I'm I'm in like and, and I mean, James Harden is a great basketball player. He is a fantastic basketball player, mildly overrated, in my opinion, but he's a very good basketball player. He's got a better three-point game than most people in the NBA. He's very smart. He knows how to draw fouls. He knows when he has to take it himself. But he's kind of stupid for turning this down. Um, And the reason why is he wants to be traded. And according to reports, he wants to be traded to the Brooklyn Nets. Why the Brooklyn Nets, you may be asking? Well, three reasons. New coach, Steve Nash, may have heard of him. Two players that they have on their roster would include Kyrie Irving, who is a uh, uh, NBA Finals champion, and Kevin Durant, who is an NBA Finals champion, both of whom are expected to play this year, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So to answer the uh, where will I be when I grow up question of it, I think Harden's going to get his way and force his way out of Houston. But the question is, is do they want him in New York? And I don't know if that's something that I really see. Do I think that Harden will get out of Houston? Yes. So where will I be when I grow up? Harden out of Houston. I cannot say where he's going to go because I I truthfully don't know. Um, Because you got to look at it from this perspective. You bring in Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving's your point guard. He is going to be there. Um, and, And then Kevin Durant holds the ball a little bit himself, but I I don't know if I can sit here and say that they really need another guard like James Harden. I think they could trade for him, but the amount of capital that Houston's going to ask for might be a little bit too much. 
So that that's where I'm going to say with where will I be when I grow up, but opening up the big trade, that's, that's the biggest one right there is Harden wants out of Houston. And I think they would take him in Brooklyn. And I say this only because yeah, he's a forward, but he, he's kind of like LeBron. He can play basically anywhere you put him on the floor. He's a bit bigger. He might be a guy you stand up down in the paint, try to get those hook shots, get the easy rebounds down and dirty. I think he would fit in well in Brooklyn. I I think so too. Um, you know, Ir- Irving and Harden as a one-two punch in your backcourt would be huge, especially with the range and the respect that James Harden demands when you're playing him. Again, you, you he'll set up between the three-point line and the half-court line, chuck up threes, and he'll nail them. Um, but but that being said, I I don't know if Brooklyn would want him. Now, if you were to turn and say maybe a a New Orleans Pelicans type thing, uh, you want to know a team that Harden's very familiar with that is now looking for a new point guard or main source of pushing the Oklahoma City Thunder. Where it all began when Harden, Westbrook, and Kevin Durant were teammates. So... That that's my piece. We look at a couple other of these big trades that have either happened or are looking to happen. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks made a huge trade Monday night uh, for uh, point guard Drew Holiday from the New Orleans Pelicans. A lot of players and a lot of picks have been sent over to New Orleans. Uh, but now the Milwaukee Bucks have a big three with Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Giannis on a Takumpo. So that's a big one, as well as uh, a guy by the name of Chris Paul, the point god, being sent from the Oklahoma City Thunder to the Phoenix Suns, uh, where Devin Booker is, where DeAndre Ayton is. And so that raises the next conversation point that we're going to have. Are the Phoenix Suns contenders in the Western Division? I I think they are. Again, I... I am the first on the record to say I'm not a big NBA guy. I'm more of an NHL guy, mainly mainly because I don't like a lot of the style of play in NBA. I'm a, a college basketball guy. I'm an N, like NHL guy, like I said. But I did see some of the Phoenix Suns games right bef- like right during the bubble before they moved into the playoffs, and they looked good. And if a few things had gone their way, I think they could have made a run in the Western Conference playoffs. And I think they're going to start off hot. Chris Paul is going to be a good addition to this Suns roster. I don't think they are championship contenders this year, but they are at least, I think they're going to be around the fourth or fifth seed in the NBA playoffs. They've got the talent. They've, they've got the coaching staff. I think the Suns are one, maybe two years away from knocking Golden State and the Lakers out of like the top spots in the NBA West. So I, I agree. And Phoenix looks set up. All right. Now, Devin Booker and the Suns went undefeated in the NBA bubble and came very, very close to sneaking into the NBA playoffs. Now, that being said, the West has cooled down significantly than where it was. The NBA Western Conference 
is top heavy. You've got the three or four teams that are every year contenders. And then you've got the three teams after them that are really solid themselves and sneak in themselves. And then the eight seed is usually that team that pushes at the last minute. The East is very much for a, for a lack of better wording is a very weak division as in terms of teams. And that's because there's three or four really solid teams and then everybody else. And that's just the way that it's been the past couple of years. But we we're starting to see a lot of immigration from the Western side to the East. Kevin Durant notably went from the thunder in the West to the uh, warriors in the West to go East to Brooklyn. So that that much I can say. So you're looking at an NBA West that has the Lakers, the Warriors. I'd put the Trailblazers in there and the Clippers. Those are the, the cream of the crop teams, in my opinion. Then you've got the Mavericks, who are up and coming with Kristaps Porzingis and Luka Doncic. Then I would put the Phoenix Suns in there. And that's not even crediting the Denver Nuggets or Utah Jazz. Now, do I think the Suns are going to be a top four team in the NBA West? Heck no. Not at all. Devin Booker demands some respect. 100%. This team is young. They just gave up a lot to get Chris Paul. Chris Paul is in his 30s. Chris Paul's old in terms of athletes. Do I think that they are contenders in the NBA West? No. Not until I see Anthony Davis not sign with the Lakers. Not until I see Steph Curry and Klay Thompson not bounce back from their injuries. Not until I see the collapse of Dame time in Portland. And not until I see what this LA Clippers team is going to look like without Doc Rivers. I can't say that they're contenders. I definitely say that they're going to be in the playoffs this year in the NBA West. But I cannot say that they're going to be contenders. That's a good take. Uh, we'll move on to the LA Lakers now, who are apparently looking into a few trades. Uh, the first involving, I forgot to write down his first name, Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder, point guard for the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, is somebody who that they are reportedly looking into going after. Uh, I've seen some trade rumors that the Lakers are looking to go after DeMar DeRozan, the former guard for Toronto, who is now with the Spurs, uh, trying to trade Kuzma and Danny Green for DeMar DeRozan. So the Lakers are still looking to improve themselves, but they see all these other moves getting made all over the place and know they need to improve uh, Rajon Rondo is nearing the end of his great career. And if Anthony Davis comes back, suddenly I, I don't know what I look at with the Lakers anymore. Obviously, LeBron James is still going to be really solid, but Anthony Davis is really what helped push that team over the top. Um, you simply don't have the weapons that you do. So I think that maybe a push for a guy like Dennis Schroeder or... Um, a DeMar DeRozan type thing is to give LeBron some more help and maybe even prepare for life without LeBron James. And I think that would help, but even right now, LA could end up not having a, a big three. They could end up with a big five if they get a few uh, guys to come in. So we'll move now from the trains to free agency moves. And the first one uh, that 
Zach and I are going to be a little bit more familiar with just because of our geographic area is uh, Andre Drummond, who was traded from the Pistons to the Cavs last season, and he has signed a one-year extension to stay with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, and that's really good. That's that's a big move for the Cavs. I don't know if they'll be able to compete in the East, but we said it before. Drummond is a great guy to have when you talk about the young talent around him, especially Colin Sexton. So just to mildly correct you, he didn't re-sign. He just exercised his option on his contract. He could have either left the team to go into free agency this year or stay with the team. And it was completely up to him. It was the contract and it was his clauses in his contract. So I agree. First, after my mild correction, 100%. Andre Drummond is a great guy to have there. Um, This is a guy who has been among the league leaders in rebounds, rebounds per game, all the big stats that you want out of the center. And on top of that, he is a guy who is going to be able to help build a culture. Um, For a guy like Colin Sexton or Darius Garland um, or Kevin Porter, who we'll talk about in a second, Kevin Porter was arrested on weapons charges this week. Um, For some of these young guys to have a veteran in there, that's the reason Kevin Love is still on this team. Kevin Love is a finals finals champion who has made it to the playoffs with a couple of different teams, and he's been around the league. That's why you want him there. So you're looking to establish a tone now in the NBA, and especially with the Cavaliers. So you've got two young guards, Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, and a lot of people are saying that Colin Sexton is not a, a true guard in the NBA and that he's an overrated player. Sexton made the rookie team, so he's solid. You've got a guy in Andre Drummond now, and that that could be your potential big three of the future. So you got to work and build with what you got, but it's huge that they brought him in, especially seeing that they, I think they anticipate letting Tristan Thompson walk. Now, other names that have kind of uh, pushed around, we already mentioned Anthony Davis, but Rodney Hood, another former guard with the Cavaliers, opting out of his contract to become a free agent this year as well. And then, of course, you got to look at a couple of these draft projections as well. Moving on into that, the draft will be taking place on Wednesday. And uh, the the two big players that uh, Jacob and I are going to talk about, LaMelo Ball and Obi Toppin. Yeah, and those are the two names that have been popping out. Uh, LaMelo Ball, because... His, he's, his family is more the reason he pops out to, uh, than anything. He is a good player uh, we've seen in the foreign circuits. Uh, but Obi Toppin could have brought a national championship home to Dayton last year if the NCAA tournament hadn't been canceled. He just, he's a beast. And if there's the one thing I can say about Toppin, he needs to get back and guard a little bit more. Uh, but I remember I, I was watching an ESPN special at, with him and he said his freshman year at Dayton coaches told him, as soon as you see our guy get the rebound sprint down that floor, we're going to get the ball to you. That's a that's the kind of attitude a lot of NBA teams would love to have. That being said, he needs to work a little bit on his defending, but he is. He's a great three point shooter. He's great down low. 
And usually when you're talking about these mid-major schools like Dayton, you're not talking about these guys that are, you're usually talking about these guys that are smaller, but great shooters. He is, he's a big guy. He could fit into any NBA team starting rotation tomorrow and make a bit of a difference. And that's why he's my favorite player in this draft. His drafts, his draft stock has fallen some since uh, the NBA tournament. I think with the tournament, he could have been the concise number one pick by most mock drafts. But now some are saying he'll fall to two or three. Some are saying he'll fall as low to five to Cleveland. And I'll say this as a Cavaliers fan, I would love to see another Ohio uh, college player come into the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse and see what he can do with this team. So the uh, Obi Toppin currently ranked by ESPN as the number six best available prospect. Number one is Lamelo Ball, and that shouldn't really come as a surprise to anybody. If you think that his name sounds familiar, it's probably because it has. His older brother Lonzo is a guard with the New Orleans Pelicans, and if you haven't known his father, Lavar Ball, just keeps talking. Um, and, and that's exactly why Lonzo wanted just to make a name for himself. And that's the thing that you got to do. Lamelo ball is the consensus. Number one overall pick in this draft. Um, He is as surefire of a pick as his brother Lonzo was in the first as the first overall pick, but Lonzo wasn't the number one overall pick in his draft. He wasn't not just in positioning, but in skill, you look at all the guys from his draft, Jason Tatum, was amongst players in his draft. Donovan Mitchell was a player in his draft. So you got to look at it that way too. So just because you're projected as the one or two best players in this draft, look at Markel Fultz. You know, you got to look at it from that perspective. Uh, LaMelo Ball seems to have answered every question except for one, and it's can he be humble? And that's the problem when you're running with a family like the Ball family. And you're talked up, you're talked up, you're talked up, but are you worth the hype? And that's the question that I'd be asking if I'm LaMelo Ball. Now, that's not to discredit any of these other players that are amongst these top 10. Anthony Edwards out of Georgia, James Wiseman out of Memphis, Denny Avija out of Israel, um, Isaac Aquaro from Auburn. There's a lot of really, really good players in this draft. I'm excited to see what some of these teams are going to do in this draft, but we're, we're going to have to wait and see. And it's the same thing with the NBA draft. And Seidel mentioned he'd love to see Ovi Toppin fall to the Cavaliers. I'd love to see a, a Lomelo Ball go somewhere where he's going to be able to thrive as a player. But we can't sit here and, and, and debate that all that much. Uh, Lomelo Ball stands at 6'7", 190 pounds. He left college in America to go play elsewhere. Uh, I think he went and played in a European league, if I'm not mistaken. Actually, you know, he... Uh... He did not play college ball at all. Oh, that's right. He went from high school directly he, into college. He went or to, college. uh, he actually transferred to Spire Academy in Geneva, Ohio. Played, that's right. Played there for a little bit. Uh, then he played in Lithuania in the LKL. And then he played in his dad's kind of joke of a league, the junior basketball association. I don't think that even exists anymore. Uh, and then he went and played in the NBL. And he was the rookie of the year in the NBL. And that's in 
uh, Australia. He played for the Slamhawks. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the name of that city. Um, the the big issue is, are you, as an NBA GM or ownership group, willing to draft Lonzo or Lamelo Ball and his dad? I don't think a lot of NBA G, uh, GMs are. Now, Lon- you've seen Lonzo. He and his he's distanced himself a little bit from his dad in the big baller brand, and you're not hearing as much about him anymore. I don't know how well this is going to work for Lamelo Ball. I'm sure he'll be a good player, but I think he, if he wants to be a good player, and I think NBA GMs need to be like, look, we want to draft you, but we're worried about your family, we're your dad mainly. I wouldn't be surprised to see whatever team he's drafted by bar his dad from the arena. Well, the NBA draft is coming up, as we mentioned, Uh, will be airing on Wednesday night. So the 18th. And we you look at how some of these teams have been created over the past couple of years, uh, just based on. Some of these players have been drafted 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But you look at a couple of these big names that are now defining the NBA. Luka Doncic was drafted very recently. Trey Young was drafted very recently. Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, as I mentioned. A lot of young stars have come out and have suddenly made their teams contenders. Look at the Mavericks with Luka. So... To all those NBA GMs that I know listen to us on a weekly basis, <laughs> best of luck in the draft, and I hope that you make the best choice for your franchise, and we as fans await that decision. So with that question towards GMs, if you were a GM, my friend, in the NBA, what move would you still want to see made before the NBA starts off on the 22nd of December? Oh, that's that's a hard one. Um, that's a really hard one for me. If I am the GM of, or I'm going to say the Detroit Pistons, I'm going to say throw throw the kitchen sink at Anthony Davis. I know it's unlikely that he is going to leave Los Angeles. But the Pistons are in a rebuild, and he's a guy that can bring other stars to him. Yeah, they might not be able to offer him as much money. But if you can get him in there, the Detroit fans will love it. He's going to be a great presence for your young team. And you might have a chance in the next two or three seasons to bring in some other free well-known free agents to round out that team and make the Pistons competitors in the East again. I like that. I'm going to make a a similar move, but not for the same player or for the same organization, but I'm going to stay in the East and I'm going to take over the job as the GM of the reigning NBA finals runner up the Miami heat. And I'm going to turn to my inner conference rival, 
Washington Wizards and say, name your price for Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal has been overlooked his entire NBA career. Bradley Beal is one of the best players in the NBA, and he's not getting the respect he deserves for it. If the Miami Heat cannot go get a big name to go give alongside Jimmy Butler, who I think has found a home in Miami, why not give the birthplace of the power team in the, in our generation, you and me, sir, why not start another super team in Miami and give Jimmy Butler a surefire superstar and Bradley Beal. That's the move I would love to see made. I want Bradley Beal to get moved from the wizards. The wizards are a, are a sinking ship and I want Bradley Beal to get some recognition because I think he's deserved it in his career. Devin Booker's about to get it with having Chris Paul on his team. Now go give Bradley Beal a superstar to play with. Send him to the Lakers Send Bradley Beal to the Lakers. That would be so much fun. I'd like that one, too. I'd like that one, too. And that's going to end our NBA finals. Not finals yet. We already talked about the finals a few weeks ago. Uh, We're going to go into the NFL now that we have finished talking about the National Basketball Association. And we will start off with Zach Smith and his favorite Pittsburgh Steelers staying perfect as they absolutely dismantled the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, and what a game. And, you know, you you look at all the criticism and I'm sitting here saying again, week after week, are you going to give the Pittsburgh Steelers the respect that they have not just deserved, but earned? And here's what I said, and I've said it for weeks. Every single question that you have thrown at the Pittsburgh Steelers, they have answered. Say, okay, you won this, so now win this. Okay, done. Okay, you beat this team. Can you beat this one? Oh, yeah, we can. And so on and so forth. The only problem I have with this Pittsburgh Steelers team is the run game, but Mike Tomlin has said that he is going to fix this. Um, Whether that's during the rest of the season, I'd love to see James Conner remain with the Steelers beyond this year, but I don't know if we'll have the money for him. Um, But what a game. And it was a thorough dismantling of Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Roethlisberger threw for four touchdowns. I think he deserves to be Offensive Player of the Week, or at least in the conversation of it in the AFC. We'll get to the NFC, believe me on that. But, you know, Roethlisberger and the Steelers team looks really, really good. And you can say, oh, 9-0, 16-0 teams aren't historically all that good. Well, to put a little bit of... A, a recap on it. The last nine and O team to not only win or make it to the Super Bowl, but win it was the 2009 New Orleans Saints. The 2009 New Orleans Saints. Now, is the Steelers team the New Orleans Saints? I don't know. But the Saints lost their last three regular season games to the Dallas Cowboys, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in overtime, and Carolina the Steelers have what it takes I think to go the distance the only game that I'm aware of that the Steelers are not favored in is their bout Thanksgiving night against the Ravens where it's a 50-50 shot right now and I, I don't understand that like the Ravens have not looked good in the last two weeks and and here's the thing the Ravens 
have a tough test between the Steelers games that they have played. The Ravens won last time out, or not this past week, but the week before against the Colts. They lost to the Patriots. They have the Titans this coming week, and then the Steelers in Pittsburgh. The Steelers over that stretch, however, had the Cowboys in Dallas, the Bengals this past week, this coming week, the Jaguars, and then the Ravens. Now, the team that I sit there and put my money on is the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it's because I think they figured out Lamar Jackson and this team is starting to hum. The offense is starting to get in rhythm. I don't know if you watched the Steelers-Bengals game, but just the more that that game went on, Roethlisberger was starting to just feel the flow. If that run game gets going, forget about it. Forget about it. The Steelers team is not going to be beaten. Yeah, in the little bit I saw of that game, the Bengals were made to look like what they should have been this season. And it's not good. So um, I'm very happy with how my Steelers are performing. The fact that they are not being given that respect blows my mind because you're going to sit here and still tell me that the Kansas City Chiefs, who have lost a game first and foremost, and on top of it, have been put into a lot of really close games lately. I mean, I, I kind of agree with uh, one of the ESPN analysts, Lewis Riddick's statement about uh, we're kind of taking Patrick Mahomes' greatness for uh, for granted. But that being said, you know, if I'm looking for the most complete team in the NFL, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'd like to be told if I'm just being biased here, but the most well-rounded team in the NFL right now is the Pittsburgh Steelers. In all three phases. And of anyone that would like to tell you otherwise, it would be me, as I have had to sit and watch the Steelers bumble the Browns year in and year out. And now that the Browns are finally decent, it might not even matter. But you're right. The Steelers are the most complete team in the NFL. That being said, the Buckeyes were the most complete team in the college football playoffs a year ago, and they had a game where they played really well. The other team uh, played really well, and really it came down to a few missed calls and a few missed plays. My biggest test for the Steelers in calling them my Super Bowl favorite is seeing them play against a big contender and the Ravens game might do this for me and seeing them not miss a single beat. I'm talking no turnovers. I'm talking no bat or defensive lapses, touchdowns. Fine. Every team, there's always going to be a touchdown scored against most teams, but I'm not, I'm talking about no 75 yard touchdowns that should have been stopped for a five yard gain. That is going to be, what my next test. And I think the Ravens game is going to do it for him. And that's why I'm glad that coach Mike Tomlin made the comment. He did on Tuesday against the Jaguars. And the question has been asked against towards the Steelers. And I promise this is where I'm going to stop my conversation after this, but the question has been asked, how do you not overlook teams? Cause that's the biggest problem in the NFL is that you'll sit there and you'll game plan the heck out of one game. Like the Steelers uh, looking to go play the the Ravens in two weeks. 
they might say, oh, we're playing the one in like seven Jaguars or the or no, they're like one in eight. Um, it doesn't matter. They're not all that good. We're going to play this really, really bad team. So we're not going to really game plan for them, but we're going to look for the ja- for the Ravens next week. The Jaguars are game planning for the Steelers. They want to make that first one on their loss record. So you can't look overlook teams, but Mike Tomlin said in a conference on Tuesday, it's not like we're a big 10 team taking on a max school. We give all the credit and all the preparation necessary week to week. And that's what I love to see out of coaches that you're not overlooking teams, you know, and the, the, the Steelers just look very, very scary. Very, very scary. You've got one of the best defensive players in the game, TJ Watt, who is half a sack back of Miles Garrett for the league lead in sacks. TJ Watt has put himself heavily into the conversation for defensive player of the year, in my opinion. And I think it's between him, Khalil Mack, and I, I would probably say Miles Garrett is who I'd probably throw in that mix. Maybe Aaron Donald. But TJ Watt has pushed himself over the top. The defense has started to wake up and create turnovers and takeaways. The Steelers continue to have the most sacks in the NFL, the most quarterback pressures in the NFL. And on top of it, Roethlisberger is starting to connect on the deep ball and pressuring defenses. Yes, it was the Bengals and say what you want, but every game matters in the NFL. And the fact that the Steelers are now coming on all different levels, and I've got people that are... Browns fans, Seahawks fans, Patriots fans. My dad who listens to the show tells me all the time the Steelers look like Super Bowl caliber players this year. I don't think I don't think this is a bias thing. I think that this is the most well-rounded team in football. Uh, it really is. It really is. And I just want to make one point, Zach. Mac teams beat Big Ten teams more often than you think. I know. I'm I'm aware. I'm I'm I was quoting Mike Tomlin. I was quoting I, I Mike Tomlin. I don't think the ja- I think the Jaguars are more like playing a division three team when you're a Big Ten team. But the one I'm looking at is week seventeen, Browns Steelers in a game that, that could determine the playoff destiny of the Browns. That's the way I look at it. And I, I think we talked about it early on. Like if the Steelers are 15 and one at that point or 15 and zero at that point in time, do you rest your starters to get ready for the postseason, Or do you sit there and say, well, we want to be 16 and oh, so you try to win that game. That's where I would know. That's something we'll talk about later, but we're going to go from the best team in football to the worst division in football, the NFC lease. As we had another NFC East matchup this week between the Giants and the Carson Wentz-led Eagles. And this is going to sound a tad bit disrespectful to the NFC East, as it should. I really think the University of Mountain Union in Alliance, Ohio, widely regarded as one of the best Division Three programs in history, would have a chance of beating two of the four teams in this division. That is how bad the NFC East is. The NFC East has a combined 10 wins. 10 wins. The Pittsburgh Steelers alone almost have more wins than the NFC East. Well, the Steelers, what, 9-0, the Browns 6-3, the Ravens 6-3. The Bengals two six and one. So that that's that is a ridiculous stat. 
Um, so you, you look at it though of how poorly this division is, and and there is only so much you can let slide. The Dallas Cowboys without Dak Prescott, yeah, I can kind of let that slide. But even still, you've played terribly. The Washington football team, we kind of expected to be bad, so I can't really do anything about that. But their defense has looked fantastic this year. I look at the New York Giants, Saquon Barkley being hurt, but I mean, still, we expected them not to be good. And then the Eagles, the Eagles. It's not good. This division is not good. And we we took our time a couple weeks ago and the Giants and Eagles played on Thursday Night Football. We didn't want to sit there and take a lot of time to talk about it. And it's a Thursday Night Football game. You know, and and, and it stinks. But when you look at a division like this, it's been so disappointing. And that that's the best word to use. It's been disappointing. I don't want to watch any game that has to do with it. It's it's sad. We'll go. We'll talk about the game now. <laughs> we'll stop bashing the division. But the uh, Giants end up beating Carson Wentz and the Eagles this time, and Daniel Jones doesn't get eaten up by the turf monster this week. But still, it was a game that just didn't look good. No, not not at all. And you, you want com- competition in a game, sure. But when you're the Philadelphia Eagles, you won a Super Bowl a couple years back. Most of your team is still there. Your starting quarterback, who you took with the first two, within the first two picks of the draft, Carson Wentz went 21 for 37, 208 yards. The Giants defense held Miles Sanders to 85 yards on 15 carries. Now, you can chalk, again, some of this up to injury. The Eagles have been a very injured team this year. But at the same time, you're playing the Giants. Daniel Jones is your leading rusher. Daniel Jones had had, uh, 64 yards and a touchdown on nine carries. And if I were to turn and ask you this question, I think I know that this affects that you'll be able to answer the question the same way I would who, what, what team does this game affect more? The Philadelphia Eagles or the New York giants? Well, the Eagles, because the Eagles had looked like they were kind of starting to turn the corner. And then all of a sudden they just run into, I I don't even, not even a wall. They ran into the great wall of China. Like they didn't just hit a brick wall. It's not like road runner with a painted on tunnel. They just ran into something they couldn't figure out. And I, for the life of me, I have no under, no idea how they can't figure it out. And, and to go along with your point as in turn the corner, after they tied the Bengals, they beat the 49ers in Santa Clara, or the Niners in Santa Clara, excuse me. This is the Philadelphia Eagles speaking. Barely lost to the Steelers in Pittsburgh. They still lost quite a bit. They almost came back to beat Baltimore in Philadelphia, 30 to 28. You win two straight against the giants and the Cowboys. And then you blow this game. Just when people start to think that you're figuring it out and getting better. And again, yes, you don't have Zach Ertz, but your, your, your schedule doesn't get any easier. I don't know if I can really give them a win to finish their year up. You have to go to Cleveland. You have to play the Seahawks. 
You got the Packers, you get the Saints, you get the Cardinals. The only game that I can sit here and maybe give you is the Washington game, and even that I can't give you. So, And that's just because Philadelphia hasn't proven me anything. Sorry about that. I thought you were done. No, you're good. Is the Carson Wentz experiment done in Philadelphia? No, it's not. And again, if, if you really want to talk about injuries, this has been the year of the injury bug. Um, look back at our first episode of this show, Sunday, bloody Sunday. And you look at all the injuries that have happened around the NFL this year. And the thing that stinks is that you're going to turn and be like, Oh, Carson Wentz just had to deal with injuries this year. Carson Wentz has drastically gone down in production. He went from being a, an MVP caliber quarterback and pushing his team to the playoffs every year and being the cream of the crop in the NFC East and even sometimes in the NFC to being a guy who just frankly doesn't look all that confident. His offensive line is hurt, and I can give some of that credit to that. This this defense cannot stop a thing, and this offense has weapons, but he cannot use it. You drafted wide receivers. Your wide receiver room should be fixed. Deshaun Jackson came back. Zach Ertz and Miles Sanders are still there. You just drafted Jalen Rayor, as I mentioned, out of TCU. And you can't fix it. Carson Wentz, I think, is going to see the same treatment that Mitch Trubisky got. Now, Zach, or excuse me, Carson Wentz is a much better quarterback than Mitchell Trubisky is. And he's gotten his extension already. But I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think that Carson Wentz is the quarterback that he should be. We'll move on to First Energy Stadium in Cleveland, where the weather was almost as bad as it was two weeks ago when they faced the Las Vegas Raiders. But this time, the Browns able to come out on top 10-7, to and they led this game the whole way. Granted, it had the lowest points scored in any NFL game this season for a half with a 3-0 lead uh, for the Browns that stretched all the way to the fourth quarter. But the weather was bad. The game was delayed 30 minutes because of it. But this was a great defensive showdown, Zach. I don't know if you got to see any of this game. Um, I I was able to watch it because I have NFL Sunday ticket, even though they weren't showing it in our market. Uh, But the Browns defense, they gave up some big plays, but they stood up when it mattered. And the best one you can say is a fourth and goal stand where Miles Garrett just comes up. He sees where uh, Deshaun Watson is going and just puts him on his butt. (laughs) Um, I I, I agree with that. And and Nick Chubb really made a difference too. Um, This Browns team didn't look the same without him. He comes back 19 19 carries, 126 yards, almost two touchdowns, but he only had the one. As he went and said on an interview on the Pat McAfee show on Tuesday, uh, I almost forgot to fall to, to go out of bounds until like the last 10 yards. I mean, I don't think it would have mattered at that point. I don't think that the Texans would have been able to drive down the field twice and get two and get an onside kick. And I get that is a smart decision. Kneel at the clock, but it's a three point game. Like, kneeling out the clock was the right decision. But my fantasy team, come on, man. I haven't had you since you went down 
against the Cowboys. I finally get you back in my fantasy lineup and you snub me that touchdown. Come on. That being said, the weather was really bad. Cody Parkey hit the field goal. Thank God. Um, but the Texans just couldn't get much going. Yeah, they got that last touchdown. Uh, and then the Browns are able to just hold the ball out the rest of the game. But where I see the Texans screw up the most is I think it was would have been a 48-yard field goal attempt. Yes, the win in Cleveland swirls. But instead of kicking the field goal, they fake it. It's a fake field goal punt. You don't see those very often. And it pinned the Browns deep. It did what they needed it to. The Browns didn't end up scoring. But I think if you kick the field goal and you kick the field goal and make it there, you got the Browns on their heels. I I, I don't know what to really look for in a game like this because you're looking at a team that has struggled all year to a team that's kind of started to struggle a little bit in the Cleveland Browns. Um, The biggest thing for this game for Cleveland is the fact that they won it. Um, this was not a pretty win, not at all. And, and this isn't, and as, as I said, against the Steelers Cowboys couple, like uh, last week, that's not a game to be proud of. It's a win and a win's a win, no matter how you get it, but it's not one to be proud of. There, there are two positives out of this game for the Browns. First one is that Nick Chubb is back and he looks good. That's gotta be the biggest one. And the one that Cleveland fans are most excited for. The second thing that I would bring up into this game is that they won and the Ravens didn't. The Browns now can control their own destiny if they can beat the Ravens. Both the Ravens and the Browns are 6-3. and three. Not this week, but next week. The Browns are going to be Steelers fans because I think the Steelers have already ran away with the division. But that's my opinion. Um, but there are still questions that I have for this Cleveland Browns team. And it's is there a receiving game outside of Odell Beckham? Odell Beckham is not on the team anymore. He's hurt. And the rumor is that he's going to be traded at the end of the year. And can Baker Mayfield throw the ball? And I get that this is a a run heavy team and Baker Mayfield's stat line from this game. Wasn't bad at all. 12 for 20 for 132 yards, but you cannot be predictable as an offense. If the team knows that if the opposite team knows that you're going to run the ball all the time, eventually teams are going to figure it out. It's like the Baltimore Ravens. Now you'll be able to run it effectively, but teams will start to figure you out. So I think I need to see a little bit more out of Baker Mayfield and I'm not hating on Baker Mayfield, not by any means, but I'm sitting here saying that I I think Baker Mayfield needs to push this ball down the field a little little more and be a little bit more aggressive. Baker, this was not an environment to throw the game or throw the ball. I agree. I, I agree. And I go back and forth on if I want a dome in Cleveland or not. I think if any team needs a stadium with a dome in Cleveland, it's the Indians uh, because just, just all the early rainouts and snow outs in Cleveland, they need a retractable roof. I love the good, cold, gritty football weather in Cleveland. And I'll say this for Baker Mayfield. He made a few good passes. He made some screen passes. He found Kareem Hunt a few times, and then he threads the needle to Donovan Peoples-Jones on the sideline, able to cradle it in and still get two feet in bounds. And a th- it was a throw only he could catch. Baker did not make any 50-50 throws like he did when OBJ was here, or when he was healthy, I should say. 
I think Baker has taken a few steps as a quarterback and he's become more analytical. We saw him run the ball a few times. It looks like the ribs aren't bothering him as much anymore. And I think this is the Baker we're going to see. The one that's like, I'm not going to attempt that. And really, the only bad throw I thought he had all day was the one that he plonked off a defensive lineman's helmet. That's I'm going to get off my soapbox about the Browns now because you and I both know how long I can talk about the Browns. It's uh, the same way with me and the Steelers, so right. trust me, I get it. And the Seahawks, falling in their second straight game, Russell Wilson, he didn't look bad, but he didn't look good, and the Seahawks' defense looked atrocious. The Seahawks' defense has been the thing that is holding them back and the reason why I don't think the Seahawks are going to make the Super Bowl this year. And it's unfortunate to say because the Seattle offense is dynamite. The the Seattle offense with Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, and then the running backs have been really solid. But between the injury of the running backs, Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde, and the fact that this defense can't stop anything, it, it hurts. And there's only so long a single player can carry a team. There's only so long you can do it. Russell Wilson has carried this team most of the season, and now it's starting to wear off. His magic is is not going to be there. Uh, two interceptions in this game. Russell Wilson went 22 for 37 for 248 yards and two interceptions. But the interceptions are what changed this up. This defense approached this perfectly. You're 6-3. and three. You're sitting as the last seed in the NFC right now. Um, now you've lost two games against two good teams. Uh, you've lost to the bills and you've lost now to the Rams. But if you look at their last four games, they're one for their last four, not losing to the 40 or to the Cardinals beating the 49ers, but losing the bills and Rams this Thursday night game, which you and I'll give our picks here for in a second, I think is determining the determining factor of their season. Yeah, they're tied for first in the NFC West, but they don't have the tiebreaker over both the Cardinals and the Rams right now. The Seattle Seahawks have a very favorable end to the schedule. But if the Cardinals beat them Thursday night and the Rams beat them later on this year, I don't know if you can sit there and say that Seattle is going to guarantee to have a playoff spot. Which is so weird to say with how well Russell Wilson played the first six games of this season. It's it's weird to see overall like the Seattle Seahawks remaining schedules is the Cardinal versus the Cardinals at the Eagles versus the Giants versus the Jets at Washington versus Rams at 49ers. This is a team that could potentially be a, a 10, 11, 12 win team. And you're going to sit. I, I think you're going to see a team potentially go like 11 and five and in an NFC this year that has been super good. Tom Brady going to the Buccaneers has rejuvenated that. Who knows what the New Orleans Saints are going to be without Drew Brees. The NFC East is going to have one team, and it's because we have to have one team. The NFC North could have two teams in there with the way that Minnesota's been playing. Chicago's been playing well. Green Bay's good. Detroit's been playing well. But the thing that's weird to think about is, do you see an 11-5 and Seattle team not make the playoffs? And I, I don't know, and that's why I think this Thursday night game is going to be the biggest game of the year and one that is put into must-win territory for the Seattle Seahawks. So we talked a little bit about the Cardinals in that Seahawks matchup. We'll go ahead and talk to them now, getting a big win at home uh, thanks to the Hale-Murray 
the Bills were able to march down, take the lead by four points with 30, uh, 34 seconds left. And then DeAndre Hopkins with a 43-yard uh, reception from Kyler Murray on the Hail Mary throw. It was it's it's insane. I'm I'm looking I'll I'll show you Zach on this win probability from ESPN that spike at the end for Buffalo and then straight down to the Cardinals. I've never seen anything like that before. Have you looked at any of the Atlanta Falcons games this year? Uh, I probably should do that. <laughs> but this, this is a game that shouldn't have come down to that at all. Like like Stefan Diggs thought he called game. And, and, and it's and it's weird to think about how often do you see Hail Marys work? And if if you're not Aaron Rodgers. If you're not Aaron Rodgers. If if you're Aaron Rodgers, it's every time you throw the ball, seemingly it gets caught. But not this time. Now it's Kyler Murray. It's it's an impressive throw, but even a better catch. Able to grab onto that ball. That this is a statement win at home for the Cardinals. Like this could this could prove we'll see what happens this week on Thursday night football. And but this could be the one that turns around the Cardinals. Oh, for sure. And, and I mean, I was a stickler for the Cardinals. I love the DeAndre Hopkins trade on the Cardinals end, not on the Texans end. I will not say I'm not doing this right now, but um, the, the Cardinals have surprised me so far this year. And I think that the Cardinals could be making a push potentially for a, uh, the, the, the lead in the NFC West. And that's what I'm kind of excited for to see what happens. We'll see what goes on. I I'm really excited to see what they can do, but this is disheartening for the Bills too. This could, this could make a U-turn for the Bills season too. I highly doubt it. Josh Allen is a great quarterback. This Bills team has played really well, but with a loss like that, your spirits go from sky high to down below the floor, floorboards. In I mean, we talked earlier about the Miami Dolphins and I turned to you and I said, there's no way that the Miami Dolphins are going to be contending for the AFC East when week 17 rolls around a loss like this. I don't know anymore. And that's what I'm kind of thinking about here um, that for the bills that this this could be something devastating. I don't think it's going to be, but I think it stays a lot more about the Cardinals and what they can do. So before we uh, quickly talk about the Patriots and Ravens, um, let's go ahead and get our Thursday night football picks out of the way. The Seattle Seahawks and the Arizona Cardinals are this week's Thursday night football game. When the Seattle Seahawks host the Cardinals at 820 on November the 19th, um, ESPN's football power index has the Seattle Seahawks favored at 59.7%. Uh, Seattle is the spread consensus pick at minus three with an over under of 57 and a half. My good friend Seidel, who are you taking? I'm going to take the Cardinals. I think they're riding high on this adrenaline streak. I think this could be the game. It's going to be close. I agree with the spread at three and a half. 
Um, I think it's going to come down to the field goal. I don't think it's going to be a very, it's not going to be a blowout for either team because the Seahawks are going to look to bounce back, but the Seahawks look like a big 12 team right now with their defense. Um, so I'm, I'm sorry, Russell Wilson, I hate to do it to you, but your MVP, uh, hopes end this Thursday night. I'm going to go the opposite direction. And I'm going to give this game to the Seattle Seahawks. And I, I hope I don't regret this. I don't think I'm going to. I've been actually really good with my picks this year. And I think that this game will be given to the Seattle Seahawks. Now, look, I agree with everything you just said that this Seattle team looks like it's a big 12 team. Again, they have lost three of their last four games. And they've been on the road for the three games that they lost. Fun fact. Seattle is six and three. And I think that this is a game that they circle on their calendar and say, guys, we have to win this game. This game cannot be up to Russell Wilson. This is a complete game effort. Now the Cardinals have an opportunity that they haven't had in quite some time. And it's to shut the door on the Seattle Seahawks. If Arizona wins this game over the Seattle Seahawks, not only does Arizona have the tiebreaker, but it would push them up in the division because the Rams have the Buccaneers this week. So I sit here and I, I don't know what to look for in a game like this. This is a game of two really, really good quarterbacks um uh kyler murray and russell wilson but i give this game to russell russell wilson has lost two straight he is not going to lose the tiebreaker here i like the spread as well and i think that you'll see seattle win by four points that is my thursday night football pick and, and now and now zach would you like to do the honors <laughs> Oh, do we want to jump right into everybody's favorite thing, or do you oh, want to no, talk no, about no. Lamar Jackson? We need to talk about Lamar Jackson looking like absolute garbage. Good, good, good. Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens traveled to Foxborough to take on Cam Newton and the Patriots Sunday night football. This is a game that I sat there, and, and I think I talked to you about this, Jacob, and I said, you know what? This shouldn't be a Sunday night football game. This is a team, the Patriots, that are not doing all that good going up against a Ravens team that easily should be able to win this game. Man, was I wrong. Yeah, and before we go any farther, there are very few things that Browns fans, Bengals fans, and Steelers fans will agree with. But one of here's two. One, we all hate the Ravens. The Browns hate the Ravens because they should have two Super Bowls, but the Ravens have them instead. Steelers hate the Ravens because the Steelers hate everyone in the division and the Bengals hate the Ravens because they can never beat the Ravens. But we all, but the other one is we all think we will all tell you Lamar Jackson is overrated as, as a passer, as a runner. I think he's good, but show me, show me that you can pass the ball. And you know what he didn't do on Sunday, Zach? Show me he could pass the ball. He he looked like he he d looked like he had never th thrown a football in an NFL game before. In in this game, and I think it just shows that the Ravens are not what they were last year. 
Now, I agree, but I don't agree to some of that. Lamar Jackson actually had a pretty solid day throwing the ball. 24th or 34, 249 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. I might be, but, I might be, I might have been looking at the wrong stat line. But Lamar Jackson and anybody that tries to argue me on this one, I can show you why you're wrong. Lamar Jackson is a better runner than he is a passer for sure. And the thing is, is when you can shut down the run game and force Lamar Jackson to throw the ball, that's where you're going to be really versatile. And that's when you're going to put a a linebacker there to spy Lamar Jackson every time he comes up to the line of scrimmage. Um, You're going to limit the run game. Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, that three-headed monster they got back there. It's very tough to hold this team down. And I'm going to be the first to say it. You will hardly ever hear me say, go Patriots. My dad will agree with that. He is a Patriots fan himself. But I sit here and I will tell you that I sat there on Sunday and I said, I hope the Patriots win this game tonight. Now, what games like this do is one, it shows how to beat teams. But two, it shows you the true colors of a team. And Lamar Jackson has a tough test over the next two weeks against the Titans in Baltimore and then the Steelers in Pittsburgh. Um, Lamar Jackson is actually being held back quite a bit. 11 carries, 55 yards. He's been held in check. And I said it at the top of the show, and we talked about Cam Newton, that if this game wasn't in the rain, Baltimore wins this game. And I agree. I still think that that's the case. Baltimore still wins that game if the weather's anything different. But if you're Baltimore and you're sitting here saying that you're a Super Bowl contender, not until you can win games like that. Not every game is going to be sunshine and blue skies. And that's 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 what I look at in a, in a game like this. And Cam Newton looked really good, even though he well, he missed four passes. He only had 118 yards and a touchdown. But it's it's what he and this team was able to do. Run down the throats, take advantage of injury. Calais Campbell didn't play in this game. You were able just to control the clock, and that's all you got to do. From there, we'll move on to everyone's favorite segment, the Smitties. I forgot to write it down, Zach, but it, it's not going to be anything hard, I swear. Okay. Throw it at me then, buddy. The Smitty that I didn't have time to come up with a witty name for the best performance of the past week goes to the best performance of last week would be Alex Smith. A guy who hasn't started a game in almost a year went 38 for 55, 390 yards. This team was getting blown out at halftime, 17 to three. Not only do you make this a game, but you take a tie with 16 seconds to go. And Matt Prater, one of the best kickers in the NFL hits a 59 yarder to win. I got to give Alex Smith and the Washington football team, my best performance of the week award. The Jacob Seidel for forgetting to tell Zach, we were doing the Smitty's biggest loser of the week. Smitty goes to. You're not a big loser, buddy. The biggest loser of the week is the Philadelphia Eagles for the reasons that we've already said. Philadelphia, you screwed up. And I'm, I'm giving you a little bit of leniency as in terms of injuries. But if you want to sit here and say, oh, I'm a playoff contender year in and year out, beat the Giants. The Giants are still a couple of years from seriously contending. And you let Daniel Jones look like he's Eli Manning in his prime. And you cannot do that if you want to contend. 
mind. Most of this Eagles defense is still intact. All you're really missing are a couple of offensive weapons, and the Eagles did not show it. Biggest loser of the week, Philadelphia. And the Smitty for the most mediocre performance of the past week goes to... Most mediocre? Ooh. It's hard. There have a lot of mediocre performances this week. Uh, I'm going to give it to, to uh, Chicago, the Chicago Bears offense. Um, this is a team that was going up against the Minnesota Vikings, who, by the way, kudos to Kirk Cousins. He gets his first win on Monday night. Um, he silences a lot of doubters. But Chicago's total offensive yards was 149 total yards. Chicago went from being one of the best teams in the NFC to being out of the picture altogether right now. They are five and five. And now we're in a division where they have to beat the Packers. The Vikings suddenly are showing up and the lions aren't all that bad. And I still sit here and I will say that the lions were my pick to be the seventh seed in the NFC this year. And they're in a position where they could potentially do it. So the bears need to do something on offense because this offense looks abysmal. And from there, we will go into underreaction or overreaction. And Zach, I'll start it out and give you this one. Underreaction or overreaction. With the new big three in Milwaukee, can anyone stop the Bucks? So this one is something that I, I can put in the I got to wait and see category. Um, big threes. And one in two ways. Either they're really, really good and you can't beat them or they fall apart because there's too much there. We've seen both happen. That being said, I like Drew Holiday. I think that he's a true guy who's going to be able to facilitate the ball. Chris Middleton is a great shooter. And Giannis, you give him the ball anywhere in the paint and he scores. Now, as in terms of anybody can can stop the Bucks, um, that depends on is Kevin Durant healthy? And does James Harden get traded to the Nets? I don't think Milwaukee runs away with the East if Kevin Durant is healthy and James Harden gets traded to the Nets. So to this question, I'm going to say that this is an overreaction, but it's a wait and see overreaction. I got to wait a little bit longer before I can really make an opinion on this. All right. This is kind of another two parter here. Overreaction or underreaction or underreaction or overreaction. Can the Cleveland Browns take second in the AFC North and win the wild card? This is an underreaction. And I'm not saying this because I'm a homer. I'm saying this because I saw, say what you want about the offensive woes for Cleveland this week. The weather was bad, blah, blah, blah. I will be a homer on that one saying the weather was bad. Cut Baker some slack. The defense showed me grit. And they, I think for the, for the first time this season, I'm pretty sure they held a opposing team to under 10 points. They can, if the Browns defense can play like they did on Sunday and then bring back some of those big turnovers that they had at the beginning of the season, they will take second in the AFC North. And I think they will win that first wild card game depending on who they play but i think the browns at their highest point like if they hit a little bit of a strut right before the postseason they could make some noise and also a point with this 
I don't have a complaint about Andrew Sandejo this week. I think that has to be <laughs> that has to be noted on how well the Browns stood up when they had to on defense. I don't have a complaint about Andrew Sandejo. So I do think this is an underreaction. So Zach, I'm not going to give you the chance to rebut that. Russell Wilson is no longer the favorite to win MVP. I missed one. We'll come back to it on the next one, Zach. Overreaction or underreaction? This is an underreaction. The most valuable player award goes to the player, or is supposed to go to the player, that makes the biggest difference and impact on their team. Russell Wilson is making the biggest impact on his team, but not in the NFL. Russell Wilson still leads the league in passing touchdowns, but the, you know he's not playing what he should be. He's turning the ball over, which is something that hardly Russell Wilson ever does. Russell Wilson is being put into a position where he has to carry a team because the defense can't stop anything. And it, it stinks to say, and I mean, I'm sitting here, I, I want the Seattle Seahawks to succeed and do well, but Russell Wilson knew that to win the MVP this year, he was going to get looked at for it, but he's, he was going to have to play the best football that he's played. And I don't think he's done that. Um, that being said, uh, I can't tell you who my MVP favorite is right now because Russell Wilson, having not played right or played very well right now, has opened the door. And he went from, oh, no way anybody's going to catch him for this to suddenly he's right there with the rest of the group. So I'm going to say this is an overreaction. Overreaction or underreaction with Nick Foles getting hurt. And unaware of Trubisky and what's going on with his injury, is Mitchell Trubisky going to be given one last chance in Chicago? If he is healthy, this is an underreaction. I still say that this Bears offense ran better with Mitch Trubisky under center. If he's hurt, it's an overreaction because he's not going to be ready to play. We don't have the information. So this could go one of two ways. But this will be Trubisky's last chance in Chicago if he is able to play. We'll stay in the NFC North. Underreaction or overreaction? The Detroit Lions are a playoff contender after a big win on a field goal on Sunday. This is an underreaction, and I'm standing by this claim that I made back in May. The Detroit Lions are capable of being the seventh seed in the NFC. Now, it's going to take a lot. It's going to. Stafford's got to be able to be healthy. Kenny Galladay has got to come back and play. He's a big part of this. But what I've seen out of this Lions team is that they can contend. Um, they're going to have to win a good couple of games in the North to really push for this, but I think that they could be a playoff contender. So I'm saying this is an underreaction for those reasons I listed above. Kenny Galladay is one of the best young wide receivers in the NFL. As much as Stafford is criticized, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and the defense is slowly starting to come together. Um, I put this team at least at an eight and eight this year, at least at an eight and eight. Overreaction or underreaction, and the final one of this show here, without Drew Brees, who has a collapsed lung and multiple broken ribs, having left the game this past week 
for Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. Are the Saints still a Super Bowl contender without Drew Brees under center? First and foremost, uh, we want to send our well wishes to Drew Brees. And I know he's never going to hear this, but he is the real reason that I am such a big football fan. I was never a big sports guy as a kid. But that 2009 Super Bowl, I had started get that season and the season before I had started really getting into it. And I will never forget calling that onside kick to start the second half against the Indianapolis Colts. Drew Brees is he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He should have more rings than he does. And he is a big difference maker. That is why this is an overreaction. The Saints without Drew Brees is not going to go well. And I don't, Jameis Winston, he he had stretches in Tampa where he looked like he could be a franchise quarterback. But I don't think he is going to be able to finish it or help the Saints finish it off. And I really don't think Drew Brees is going to come back this season. I, I don't know if he's been ruled out for the rest of the season or not. But a collapsed lung, broken ribs, that's not something you just bounce back from. I did see a I, I like I like his Facebook page and he put out a post today saying he is the best medical staff in the country. But he was sitting there with his kids on the couch with his kids basically playing doctor on and with a stethoscope and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, like I said, we wish you the best, Drew. And uh we're sorry that your team is not going to win a Super Bowl this year without you. I, I can kind of agree and tell you he has not been ruled out. He expects to be back this season at the earliest two to three weeks. Um, the question becomes, you are the front runner in the NFC right now. You control your own destiny in the NFC South. Can Jameis Winston win the next two to three games? I think he can. He's got to get Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders more involved because uh, that is an Alvin Kamara injury team away from being in trouble, from being in a lot of trouble. So um, I think the Saints are still Super Bowl contenders. This defense is hurt, but I agree. I agree 100% that Drew Brees is a huge portion of this team, um, hence why the Saints need to put a lot of effort into finding his replacement after this year. Uh, because we live in a time where we get to sit here and say that we get to watch pr- arguably the best generation of quarterbacks to have ever played the game. We got to watch Peyton Manning. We got to watch Eli Manning. We get to watch Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, Aaron Rodgers right now. It, we, we got to see um, oh Kurt Warner. We got to see a little bit of Brett Favre, a little just, bit of a Brett little Favre just the tail end, but... We get to watch the best generation of quarterbacks and every Sunday turning on the TV and seeing Drew Brees play. It's a gift and something that a lot of people take for granted. As a Steelers fan, I have a 38 year old quarterback who's a future Hall of Famer playing for me. And I forget sometimes just how well and just how much he means to that team. And, you know, last year having lost Roethlisberger puts into that that kind of perspective in there. That being said, with New Orleans, Drew Brees, you don't have Bridgewater to bail you out anymore. All you've got is Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. So um, I think the the Super Bowl contention is still in effect for the New Orleans Saints, but Drew Brees needs to get back soon. And that is going to do it for us 
today. Zach, thank you. You get to go see some uh, college football tonight. Uh, let me know how that goes. Let me know how cold you get. Uh, another great rendition of the Smith and Seidel show. Uh, the Smith and Seidel show's intro and outro music was created by Bobby Quinn, uh, creative music production. You can find him on Fiverr.com by searching Bobby Quincy. He's highly recommended. He does great work. It was a pleasure working with him when we started this off. We'd also like to thank Dylan Hunter, a student at Bowling Green State University, for creating the Smith and Seidel logo. So until this Friday, for Zach Smith, I'm Jacob Seidel, signing off and reminding you to stay safe, stay healthy, and I Ziggy Zumba. Zumba.